0: this is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. So this podcast is about a lot of things. It's about food, it's about health, it's about nutrition, it's about science, it's about gardening, it's about the environment. But underlying everything is a word that I don't use consciously much, and that is liberation. But when I first thought about the words plant yourself, I was really thinking about planting ourselves, like putting our roots down deep into the earth and being able to resist the crazy currents of our current civilization, not being swept along, not going along in the mainstream, but really putting down our roots and finding our true connections to nature and to our community and to ourselves. And that's why I focus so much on food, because you can't liberate yourself from a culture where you're dependent on its food chain. It's like a child running away from home and then coming back for three meals a day. You have to liberate yourself from the industrial food chain if you really want to liberate yourself from this crazy consumer culture that's destroying our souls and destroying our planet. Miyoko Shinner's latest book, The Homemade Vegan Pantry, is a cookbook. It's a book of recipes, of how-tos, but the underlying spirit behind it is one of liberation. It's a kind of punk DIY manifesto and it says you don't need to be dependent on commercial products and packaging. You can slow down, you can unplug from this culture, slow down and cook, make your own staples, and get closer to the source of our food. And yeah, it's a lot cheaper to cook that way. She estimates that we could save maybe 70-80% to 80% of what we pay for commercial ketchup or commercial mac and cheese, even if it's the happy, happy, GMO-free, organic, fair trade stuff, by just making it ourselves. We reduce our environmental footprint by having less packaging, and we get better tasting food. And we get to experience the joy of making food of preparing things for our families and for ourselves and for our friends that contain our sweat, not literally, our love, our care, and our connection to the planet that supports us. So without further ado, Miyoko Shinner, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Hey, Howard, it's great to be back. Yeah, so last time we were talking about uh, artisan vegan cheese. And you have a new book that's just come out. I'm holding it in my hand. It's beautiful. It's hefty. It's called The Homemade Vegan Pantry, The Art of Making Your Own Staples. And so the first question is, why? Why do you think it was important for us to, for for anyone, to make our own staples? What What are the reasons that we wouldn't just go out and buy stuff?
1: You know, I think it's kind of liberating. To know what goes in your food and to be able to make every aspect of everything you eat um, to be able to go into your kitchen and just sort of scientifically take apart everything that you would have previously bought and know how to put it together yourself just in case I mean you know what if there were a big uh, I don't know some nuclear disaster and you were stuck in your house. I'm, I'm kidding of course, but um, you know all you had was uh, were cans of uh, tomato paste and flour and I mean what could you do with that? Uh, it, it turns out you could do a heck of a lot. you can make ketchup, you can make mustard, you can make uh, your own pancake mix. you can make all sorts of things very very quickly and know exactly what's going into your food and really get creative with it as well too.
0: Now, I, you know, this week is a big week of transparency for me. I just um, hired a financial coach to kind of force me to look at budgeting and, you know, things and bills and, and bank statements and things that I, I like to avoid looking at because I don't I don't want to see if there's any bad news. And your book reminded me that, like, there's a lot of things that I buy from the store that I would not make at home because the, if I made them at home I'd have my face rubbed in like they're not good for me. Like you know, like a, a um, packaged almond milk, which is like really high in in sugar and it's got all sorts of additives. It's like I, I prefer to buy it so I don't have to I don't have to deal with it. And this you know your 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 pantry idea is kind of an act of sort of radical transparency and honesty, isn't it?
1: It really is. I mean, you know, the DIY, do-it-yourself movement is definitely growing at the same time that the opposite movement of just buying more and more packaged prepared foods is growing. So there's really, really sort of, you know, two approaches to, to dining. Or to, um, but I really think ultimately we need to take control of our kitchens. We need to know what is in our food. And one of the best ways to do it is to make everything. Um, It sounds like, oh my god, I'm going to be a slave to the kitchen. I'm going to be at my stove all day long mixing and cooking and all of this stuff, but it turns out actually that a lot of these things are super, super easy to make. It probably takes less time than to go to the store and buy it. Um, You know, something like ketchup, if you have some tomato paste and some kind of sweetener and some vinegar uh, and salt, all you have to do is mix those up, and in 15 seconds, you've got, you know, um, a couple of cups of ketchup. It's so easy, and you you wonder it, 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 the the cost of that is what it, whatever it is, you know, fifty cents or a dollar or something, and you wonder why did why was I spending three ninety nine on organic ketchup? Um, so a lot of the stuff you can make for about a third of the price that you'd be paying at the store, um, and you can make it so easily um, that you know you really just it, it's. It's a time savings also. It sounds hard to believe, but it's true.
0: Right. And in fact, the, the, the one dish I did make from from the cookbook is ketchup, just because we were, we were about out and I was leafing through it. And I realized, oh, I got to go, you know, go to Whole Foods and find some organic ketchup without corn syrup. And it'll be like, you know, $4.00 in a plastic bottle that I'm going to then you know we moved out to the country so now I got to drive to the dump so that's another layer of transparency like I have to heft my waste and and right. drive it somewhere and and you know I got out a uh, a small mason jar and just mix this stuff in and you know there's there's nothing to throw out when it's done I just rinse it and put it in the dishwasher
1: you know, and that's that's a really, really good point. When, um, when I first wrote the book, actually, one of the inspirations for the book, and I actually included this in the introduction, but the introduction was too long and the editor cut it, but I started out actually talking about garbage, about the fact that I had prided myself on having, you know, ordering the smallest garbage can from our local um, garbage company and um, recycling and composting so much, and yet my daughter one day just said, which "It was, her, you know, it's her job to take out the garbage every every week." And she said one day, "Why do we have so much recycling? What are all these containers for?" And I realized that it was from all these things that I was buying mayonnaise and ketchup and mustard and you know, vinegar or whatever. I mean, I was just buying so much of these, so many um, staples, and they were just ending. they just like that plastic ketchup bottle you just talked about, and it. So the question was, how can you reduce garbage and make things yourself in your own kitchen that are delicious, healthy, you know what's in it, you you know, you can control what's in it. And not only that, what's really exciting about making your own staples is that ketchup that you made, if you don't like regular old ketchup you can change it up by adding your own flavorings to it. You can add, you know, you can make it spicy Mexican ketchup by adding some chipotle for, and cumin to it. Or you can make smoky maple ketchup by adding a little bit of liquid smoke and maple syrup instead of sugar or whatever. But you can, you can add your own personal spin to a lot of these staples, which makes it really, really exciting. Once you understand what is the basic recipe, what is the basic formula? so. Yeah. 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 I think that's really liberating to know, you know, to be able to go into your kitchen and just put your own personal stamp on a staple.
0: Right. And you know, I'm uh, you know, the the podcast is called Plant Yourself and it and part of the way I think about that is we can each take a stand for a better, cleaner, healthier world with less dependence. You know, if we plant ourselves, we don't have to lean on the industrial food supply. And like most of us, or most people who are listening to this, I imagine have let go of, you know, Little Debbie snack cakes and Lucky Charms and Coca-Cola and things that we would we would see as the epitome of what's wrong with our industrial food system. But there's still, you know, even even like I, I sort of have a love hate relationship with a lot of the companies that make vegan substitutes for you know meats and cheeses and and other dairy products
1: <laughs> you're talking to one of them yeah
0: <laughs> well
1: yours is a little uh, different yeah. right? okay thanks uh, yeah well, you're right i mean a lot of the the, pro- the products on the market are highly processed and they're not really made from real food and that is you know like a lot of the vegan cheese alternatives that are on the market are a combination of oil and starch so that's not really a food I mean, last time I checked, you know, oil and starch weren't a food group. Um, So if you are going to buy pre-made foods, at least try to buy foods that are real, that are made from real ingredients, Um, you know, that come from either grains or legumes or fruits and vegetables or nuts and seeds. So they're actually real uh, rather than just the byproducts of those foods. Um, but, you know, of course it's wonderful if you can make everything, but, you know, we're also really, really busy, all of us. And so occasionally we are going to go and buy something that's pre-made, if, you know, especially if it's one of those harder things to make. But so many items, what I tried to do in the book is dispel the, the notion that making your own stuff is so dip, labor-intensive and difficult. Um, once you learn a lot of the tricks that I have in the book, You find that, you know, if you just had a Sunday afternoon, maybe three or four hours in the kitchen, you could probably stock your pantry with all the staples you need for a month or more.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed when reading through and, you know, so a a lot of the time when I read cookbooks, it's kind of aspirational. Like I just, you know, like entertainment, like I I imagine myself making this recipe and it makes me happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> is is the way, the way you describe it, and and the way I was visualizing it is like this is really fun. This is it's almost like going to art camp, where you know like you, you know Aww. like a camp like when I would you know make a lanyard like
1: that was like the right yeah, years yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Well, it, it kind of is like that. That's a great that's a great way to put it. I love that um, description really because um, that's really kind of what it is. You know, it is kind of fun to know. Wow, you know, mustard is simply just ground up uh, mustard seeds with some kind of liquid, that's all it is. Wow, I mean, I can do this. And then it's like, hey, why don't I try adding this to that? Oh, maybe I can add this, you know. It, it, once you know what the simple science is behind a lot of these um, age-old products, it's really kind of fun, and you feel very empowered because you can create it yourself.
0: And, you know, one, one of the things I realized is, how how liberating it is to to deviate from the flavors we're used to so you know many of yes. us have have imprinted like when i was a kid i imprinted on heinz ketchup and i remember like if we went to a restaurant and they had like hunt's ketchup it was disgusting i couldn't i couldn't do it like heinz was the the flavor that i wanted that's funny or you know some people <laughs> love you know hellman's mayonnaise or or whip yeah, right. or whatever it's, it's like and you know, when, when we start cooking for ourselves, we kind of, you know, after the first like taste of disappointment, well, that's not exactly like the store-bought version. If you slow down, it's, it's generally much better, isn't it?
1: It, I think, I think it's much better because you, you taste the true flavors. Usually, you know, a lot of processed foods, it tastes good the first bite or right when it, right when it hits your tongue. But there's usually some sort of chemical aftertaste, and the more your taste buds become pure by eating a, a whole foods, plant-based diet, you begin to pick up on those artificial notes. Um, so they, you know, they just don't taste as good. They don't taste real anymore. Um,
0: yeah, that's definitely been so, my experience where it, it, yeah. felt, it felt like I was, you know, peeling away layers of tinfoil off my tongue.
1: Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, Yes. Like, absolutely.
0: You know, where I could feel like, well, this is... You know, like I'll bake something or I'll make a soup and I'll go, boy, this is a little bit too salty. Right, right. You know, like yeah, I really it, fine-tuned my own palate just by cutting out garbage.
1: Yeah, right. And that's what this, you know, you, you'll you know by making your own staples, you'll know exactly what goes into absolutely everything. And, you know, we so I, I cover a whole bunch of different um, topics, everything from your own um, uh your own bouillon making your own bouillon at home so you always have a soup base um, and there's different versions of that too different kinds of baking mixes that if you have kids and you know you need to make I don't know your kid comes home and says I need you know some baked good for tomorrow's whatever uh, uh, cupcake sale or whatever you've got a easy to you know easy to use baking mix in your pantry that you could turn into whatever pu- uh, cupcakes or cake or cookies or and i've got you can make it whole grain or you can make it with all purpose flour or you can use gluten-free flour i mean there's so many different options so many different variations but you've got something kind of a go-to thing you can reach for mm-hmm. um
0: and and you and, and you start yeah. to see when you talk about you know saving 70 80% of your of your food bill well, you you see if you just price it out like one of those convenience packages like a you know whole foods uh, cake mix, or something, or or, one, or especially like the gluten-free baking mix. Like a pound is well, like an organic,
1: such- yeah, the, an organic one, six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. You know, and you use it one time and it's gone. But you can make that. For example, I've got this great gluten-free buckwheat pancake and waffle mix in there, and you know, you can make a huge batch of that for, you know, three bucks or something, and you've got enough for multiple Sundays.
0: Right. and the tr- the trick is then just sort of labeling and storage so you know what it is right cuz to me that's like the big advantage of packaged foods is that it's well packaged so i know right. like you know, like, so you know like, what it is like really like, like there's a thing that? there's that plastic thing of ketchup with the classic shape i know what it is your ketchup is in a in a Mason jar with a lid on it. I'm like
1: what was that again? What was that? You got to go and yeah You just have to put some labels on it. You know masking tape is great. Just keep a roll of masking tape in your kitchen drawer And you can just pull it out and just stick it on any jar and you can write on it and you can peel it off You know, they even have the easy peel masking tape that you can get at Home Depot or whatever the kind that doesn't stick You know comes right off your wall, so it'll Uh come right off your jar, too
0: Awesome. So, that, yeah, that's. I think that's one of the, yeah. the, the keys is once you make it to remember what it, what it was that you made and where you put it.
1: And <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So one of the things you say in the introduction is the one of the advantages of making your own staples is about the rhythm of cooking, the rhythm of food, the rhythm of your life. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, I think... W- many of us now have this very very sort of frenetic lifestyle and we're just like bouncing off of walls all the time and I really maybe it's a romantic notion but I really really do find that when you can slow down just a little bit in your kitchen and make these things in an orderly manner um, you know, and they're very very simple they're all really really simple recipes um, I think it just sort of it grounds you, in, you know, just like you were talking about um, the name of the podcast. Um, it, 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 it just provides this, uh, this calming rhythm um, that just takes away a lot of the, the stress. I mean, I find it almost meditative to make a lot of these staples, um, you know, to just spend two or three hours in my kitchen on a weekend. Um, and just taking, you know, take inventory of what I have, what I don't have, and I'll go into my kitchen um, on a Sunday afternoon, and I'll just make a bunch of these things. And it's really sad it's kind of soul satisfying to know that now I've got a kitchen, my refrigerator is stocked with mayo and mustard and ketchup, and I've got a pantry full of all these other products. My freezer has, you know, various meat substitutes that I've made. Um, I've got my soup stocks. Um, it's all ready to go, and it's, it's ready for me when during the week when I'm really, really busy. I can reach for it, and it makes my life easy the rest of the time. So I find that it just, it just kind of gives you this sort of – you fall into this natural rhythm where I think you're just more in tune with nature. <laughs> I don't know if I'm being articulate at all there.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because I, I have a very sort of romantic – attachment to this to this idea of like completely going off the grid um i've i've gotten hooked on this sort of historical romance fiction series called outlander
1: okay Uh,
0: i don't know if you know about it i don't i don't know if i i just went way down in your (laughs) estimation but i'm listening to the to the audiobooks i'm on like book five or six and one of the constant themes they're talking about is just how hard it was not necessarily how hard it was but how labor intensive it was to live in you know rural north carolina in the 18th century or rural scotland and just how much of everyone's day was devoted to food like even to the point where you know wars whoops um where wars were put on hold so everyone could go home and, and like tend to the crops
1: that's funny, you know, but but that's that's been most of human history. I mean, as as a species, and if you just look at wild animals in nature, they spend most of their time foraging or hunting or chewing. So, and that's what we did, you know, as we evolved throughout history. We spent most of our time foraging or growing or gathering or or whatever, and then eating and chewing, and because we didn't have food processors, processors, and we may not have had access to heat and and, and so much so. Food took up a huge amount of our time as, a, as the human species and, and continues uh, to take up a lot of time for animals in the wild today. Um, this is probably the first time in human history where food is just something you do three times a day, and it really, you know, I mean, people don't even want to spend 30 minutes cooking sometimes. Um but then there's a backlash. There are people that are now getting into the kitchens more and more and just trying to understand, you know, they're, they're, they're rebelling. They're, it's a backlash to all the processed foods, and they want to know what is in their food. And they're going in and, and trying to do things on their own. You know, there are people that are brewing their own kombucha. Um, and uh make you know even doing more complicated things like making their own miso um, or their own soy sauce i 'm not getting that detailed in this book i'm i'm trying to present something that 's more accessible to more people um, you know not but um, but there's and there's pride. I don't there's I don't think this will that. take up all your time what? Yeah
0: but there's the, I mean people who do that they take a lot of pride in it like you know the first experience I had with this was I had some friends who were like doing their own homebrew
1: Right. And they do. Yeah.
0: You know this this becomes artisanal. You know like that's one of it your your brand words is like you know artisan right. like how wonderful for yeah. human beings like how many people do you know who are artists? Like, who think of themselves and who act and are treated like like artists. Like, for me, it's very few. And yet, all of us have the opportunity to be artists in our own kitchens.
1: We do. We absolutely do. And that's what this is about. You know, it's not about complicated recipes, it's really kind of taking food apart and showing how to do each of these very simple things that we just taken for granted as being staples that you buy.
0: And, and there's, there's, for me, there's a huge sense of dignity in that. And, and I think we've lost it in a lot of our culture. There's not a lot of dignity around many of the jobs that people do. Like, they, you know, they come out of college with debt and they go, well, got to go work for something and this seems all right. And it kind of uses some of my abilities. Whereas, you know, like when we go out and we pick our own blueberries and we make a meal from the food that we've grown ourselves like that's
1: that's I, transcendent. That's satisfying. That is truly satisfying. You know, I mean, if you can make, if you can grow your own fruits and vegetables, and then you make, you know, your own. Uh, let's. Say I have a recipe for your own homemade butter. You make your own glorious butter, and then you make a baking mix, and then you pick your blueberries, and you, you make a a pie crust with the butter and the pancake mix and the blueberries and. Um, I mean that's truly satisfying because everything came from scratch. You now everything is you know exactly what's in everything, um, and um, I think it's really really joyous.
0: Yeah, that's that's where I feel like you know there's there's as you said there's always another level. So you didn't go into soy sauce, uh, but somebody could. And there's lots of books out there about you know very very advanced forms of fermentation and brewing and right. and sort of every level you go it's 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 sort of the opposite of hardship like this is this is the level at which you're you're getting more and more joy from it like you know like that's
1: exactly right no one is saying you have to go i mean i have recipes in in the book for things like tofu and and tempeh but, but no one is saying you have to make your own tofu you can never buy tofu again but once you do make the tofu i guarantee you that smile will creep up on your face when you take a bite of that delicious curd it's yep. absolutely joy it's 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 joyful it's you know it's um very very enriching for the soul yep.
0: so let's let's talk about some some of the the staples um so you have you have a whole section called the meat the meat of the argument and you say meat is a term that should not just be reserved for animal flesh um so what what are what are the meat substitutes that, or, you know, non, non-animal non meats that we can make, that we can have on hand, that we don't have to go and buy from the, you know, the the deli counter at the, at the local Whole Foods market?
1: Well, you know, the very first recipe I have in that chapter is actually what I call real tofu. And I know that sounds really strange, but tofu is one of the most delightful foods you can eat if you make it and it's fresh. It is unlike any store-bought thing you can possibly buy. Um, There's such a delicacy to it that it's delicious just by itself with a splash of soy sauce. It's so utterly satisfying, and it literally is something that can be made in about five minutes. It's so easy. So I start off with that, um, and then I go into, there's also a recipe for tempeh, which is also completely delicious. Uh, It's so much better than anything you can buy commercially. then I, you know, then I have recipes in there for for different kinds of fish substitutes, um, which is something that, you know, it's hard to buy a vegan fish alternative. So I've, I have a couple of different recipes for fish in there, fish sticks and unfish, and then I have some crab cakes in there. Um, and then I've got things like vegan sausages, vegan chicken, vegan um, pork, um, that sort of thing. Um, Some of them are soy-based or made out of either tofu or soy milk or yuba, which is a skin that forms on soy milk. Some of them are seitan-based. And then um, there's a couple of recipes that don't use any kind of seitan or soy at all. I've got these neat balls in there that are just made out of brown rice and lentils, for example. Um, So there's a, a range of meaty dishes in there that. You make in fairly large portions, and the idea behind that is you make, you make one batch, a really large batch at one time, and then you can just keep it in your freezer and just pull out a small amount of it as you need for different meals. Um, so and that, that makes meal preparation really easy.
0: So if someone wanted to make their own tofu, what, what do they need? Do they need lots of special equipment?
1: No, you need a pot. You need a sieve. And you need some soy milk and a coagulant, which is usually um, um, something called nigari, n- nigari which is um, magnesium chloride. You can also use calcium sulfate, but um, magnesium chloride, uh, which is a natural mineral, is um, relatively available. I mean, it's usually extracted from seawater.
0: Mm. And where, where would you get that?
1: You can get it online really easily. If you just Google Nigari, N-I-G-A-R-I.
0: Okay, and then what's the the other, you know, the difference with this tofu, real tofu versus store bought, in terms of like cooking it, putting it into you know sauces or, or pan sautéing it or you know baking it?
1: What, what would well, people I mean, notice? I, I would it's it has a delicacy and a freshness to it that you just cannot replicate with a store-bought stuff that's been sitting in water forever Um, you can make it as delicate in texture as you like or as firm as you like depending on how much magnesium chloride you add and whether you press it or you don't press it Um, so you can also flavor the tofu if you want so as you're making it you can add you know herbs and spices sun-dried tomatoes, olives, capers, salt and pepper, whatever, to just put your own spin and make a flavored tofu, a tofu that's infused with flavor already. This tofu is so wonderful. I highly uh, recommend that you eat it by itself or maybe pan-fried or in a soup or something, but definitely don't, you know, Puree it to bake with it or anything. It would be a waste. Uh-huh. It's so excellent. Of course, if you're going to make all your tofu, then of course you can do that. The other good thing about making your own tofu is that you have a byproduct. This tofu is coagulated soy milk, and so when you make soy milk, of course, um, you're removing the the fiber from the soybean, which is called okara, O-K-A-R-A, and that's the you know that's the soybean pulp. So so that can be used in so many wonderful dishes itself. Um, and so in this book, I have several uses for it. One of them is making these great um, crab, mock crab cakes because Okara has sort of a flaky texture. Uh, so it just really makes these um, fab cakes wonderful. Well, I call them fab cakes, San Francisco fab cakes, but it makes them absolutely wonderful. So, you know, once again, when you make your own staples, you can start out with, let's say, a pound of soy beans to make, you know, a couple of gallons of soy milk. And then from the soy milk, you can make a bunch of tofu, and you can make okara, and then you can make crab cakes, and you can make, you know, um, something out of your tofu as well, too. So... You end up having multiple uses for just a handful of beans.
0: And mm. I've got to say, so, soy milk—you know, plant-based milks—are a, a huge issue in our house for for a lot of reasons. One one is I don't understand how soybeans, which are like the ultimate commodity, like you know, three cents, mm-hmm. um, you know, for 50 pounds, whatever whatever they are. You know, some how that like. A quart of, of of soy milk in the store is five dollars uh, like i don't i 't understand where you know where how how that ends up being more expensive than cow well, it 's the
1: packaging it 's the packaging it 's the marketing i mean no one 's marketing soybeans but once it 's in the form of a product, now you've got marketing expenses, you've got all the infrastructure of the company, you've got all the overhead, um, you've got the packaging costs, you have the processing costs, so that's how it ends up being $5 or three ninety nine or whatever. But if you just buy the organic soybeans yourself and just make your own soy milk, um, and I have a different way of making the soy milk in here, I researched it really, really thoroughly and to figure out what it is, you know, if you make your own soy milk at home, typically you get this really, really beanie flavor. And um, a lot of people don't like it because they're used to store-bought soy milk. And what I found was that part of the problem was that most of the recipes for making soy milk call for soaking the soybeans in advance. And what that does is it releases this beanie flavor. So by not soaking the soybeans and just letting them hit hot water immediately, um, I was able to eliminate most of that beanie flavor that you get from homemade soy milk. Um, So definitely, if you just buy soybeans, you know, if you really, really want to get into this and do it, do everything from scratch, you can make your own soy milk. Um, You can even buy a soy milk maker that um, there's... I can't remember the name of the brand that I have, but I have a soy milk maker at home that does not require soaking the soybeans, which means that the soybeans go immediately. It um, interacts with hot water immediately. So it's basically the method that I present in my book, except for the machine does it. Mm -hmm. So you can either do it just with a pot at home and a sieve and some cheesecloth, or you can get a machine that does it. But definitely, if you make your own soy milk, you save a ton of money.
0: Right. And, and, you know, soybeans have, have been implicated um the way they are pre- you know the way they're hyper processed for a lot of um you know vegan meat substitutes is not being particularly yeah. good for us and here you know you've get there's again there's something nice with like you do it yourself at home you know what the process is you know exactly how fractionated the food is going to end up and you can take the byproduct and make something else delicious from it
1: that's right so so then you're getting the whole bean you may may not be getting it in the same dish But but you are getting the whole bean. So, you know, the crab cakes that I have in here have both tofu and okara. So you're actually getting a whole food. You just fractionated it first, but then you're putting it back together. So there's nothing lost at all.
0: Right. And, you know, our other family issue with soy milk is that, you know, when— when I started putting the screws on my family, I was I was the dictator to you know, to go plant based, and so and I I did some things reasonably well, and other things I was very inelegant about. But like the, my wife's one area of holding out was uh, tea. She's from South Africa, where tea is a religion, and of course you know you have your you know full your full milk or cream in the tea. And when she switched to soy milk, it took a long time to find a soy milk that she liked. And she ended up finding this one brand. And our local co-op doesn't carry it anymore because they don't approve of the politics of the company. And I've got to say, I agree with them. Um, But now we're soy milkless. And so we're either going going to some other place, buying this brand and holding our noses, which doesn't feel very good. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you... You've got something here we can we can try and get and get used to and, and like better than that that packaged product, right?
1: Well, well, you can you can flavor the soy milk the way you like, but you know, for for tea, I would recommend the almond milk and coffee creamer recipe I have in here. Okay. So you can make almond milk and coffee creamer at the same time. The only difference is the amount of water, and it, um, you know, it's just it's a whole food. It's just made with almonds and dates, and a little bit of vanilla really good tasting and, and I tried all kinds of different ways of making coffee creamer and I found that this was the simplest and the and the best tasting
0: mm. yeah so that, that's another thing I was thinking about is you know when people hear when I first heard oh you know Miyoko's got a book about making your own pantry items so well that's that's going to be a lot of work but pantry items traditionally have been like human beings have tried to figure out the easiest quickest way to make it and that's that's kind that's of the right. approach you take as well, you're always saying, you know, well, this, this, is, this is the traditional recipe, and I found that, you know, I could make jam in half an hour. Why do I need to, to strain it and lose 15 all the minutes, goodness?
1: Fifteen minutes.
0: Fifteen minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, why, you know, so a lot of these, you know, the idea of making staples is exactly what you said. A lot of people are intimidated by it because they think they're going to be now a slave to the kitchen. But what I try to do is liberate you. So if you just kind of rethink a lot of these staples— There is a really easy way to do it. Like my jams, I call the easy cheat method. You know, you don't need to spend hours cooking down fruit and adding a bunch of sugar and a bunch of pectin to it. You can make it in a few minutes with whatever natural sweetener you want to add and as little as you want to add, and just thickening it up with a little bit of arrowroot. It's really easy. It's you know, it's it's kind of a no-brainer in a way. And nobody will if you put it in a jar, nobody will know the difference.
0: So one thing I wonder about you've got a lot of recipes that call for soy a lot of recipes that call for for wheat gluten and you know those are kind of two big allergies and you know at, at least people think they are there's a lot of people you know the gluten free is obviously a huge movement a lot of people are told by their chiropractors and chinese medicine practitioners that they're allergic to soy i'm wondering if you find that the way that people don't react to pantry items, maybe the way they would react to all the processed versions of soy and wheat that they encounter?
1: I, you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people I've, you know, the whole allergy thing is something I don't want to tell people whether they really are, or they aren't allergic to. I mean, and, and to, there is a contingent, I think they're, you know, it, it's at this point, it's almost fashionable to be gluten free. Um, a lot of people who say they're, gluten-free, don't even know really what gluten is. Um, and there are those, I don't, I'm not making light lie to people that are truly celiac and have a real um, allergy to it or even people that, you know, have really experimented and have found that they are gluten intolerant. But the, you know, a lot of people really, really aren't. And I've tried to give options. I mean, there is a gluten-free pancake mix in here. There's a gluten-free pizza dough in here. And then there's also a um, you know, then there is plenty of ones where I just use flour unabashed because I still think the majority of people in this country, you know, aren't having an issue with it. Um, especially if you're using organic grains um, and you know what else is in there. Um, I know there's, there are arguments about hybridized grain, uh, hybridized wheat and the, how the proteins have changed. Um, you can use more of the ancient wheats if that makes you feel better physically or you know or emotionally Um, I also have lots of recipes in here that you know that really do avoid soy and gluten but I personally don't this is a vegan cookbook it's not a gluten-free cookbook or you know it's not an allergen-free cookbook I tried to provide different alternatives like I've got three mayonnaise recipes in here one of them doesn't have a lot of the vegan mayonnaise recipes have soy milk in them or soy and one of them here doesn't have any um, any soy in it. It's, it's cashew-based. But then there's another recipe that's, you know, for the people that are oil-free, there's an oil-free mayonnaise recipe. So I actually have three mayonnaise recipes in here.
0: Right. I was very um, happy to see the uh, the oil-free.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, it's really, really hard to satisfy everybody. <laughs> you know, so I've kind of tried to, what I've tried to do with this book is to pr- produce the best version that I can come up with of that product rather than, um, you know, in other words, if, if I felt that gluten was necessary for something to produce a certain culinary result, then I used it. If I found that it wasn't necessary, then I didn't use it. Um, you know, I did, so I really try to take a more of a overall general culinary approach in terms of results, a result-based culinary approach.
0: <laughs> And you, you also, you know, you've chosen to produce cookbooks, and your cookbooks, like they don't, they don't hold back on like these techniques and secrets. Uh, you know, you're. I, I've made a, you know, a lot of cheese from artisanal vegan cheese. Your your last cookbook, mm-hmm. and, you know, like it was. It was amazing. And I'm also I'm very happy that your you know, your cheese and we can talk about this maybe a little bit. Your cheese company is going to be um, stocking shelves on the East Coast because that was like a really it took a lot of work to do a lot of those. So, you know, but the, but I'm imagining because you open source it, that people take your recipes and then they a lot of people experiment and come up with different versions and tweak things and sort of you you know, it's, it's like a scientific culinary community where, where knowledge is always advancing.
1: Well, that, that's the whole idea. I mean, ultimately, you know, I write books to help people because I want more and more people to go plant-based, to go vegan. And I want to give them as many tools as I have. I want to share those so that they, too, can do it. Um, and, it, you know, it's, for me, it's, it's joyous to be able to share these recipes. So, I mean, even though I have a cheese company, there are four amazing cheese recipes in this book, um, and all all four of them are oil-free, I believe. So, um, there's a a new melty mozzarella, melty cheddar, an amazing feta cheese that sits in brine for about a month, and then a shaved Parmesan, and I I didn't put, you know, I I was able to produce... Yeah, is there a jack in here? I can't remember now. Yeah, that's that's the one I
0: dog-eared for for first the the jack with jalapeno.
1: Oh, okay. Is that in here? Okay, I couldn't remember. So, you know, they are the ones that, um, you know, I was able to find that I didn't need to use oil for these particular recipes, Um, and they worked. So, you know, that's what I, I tried to in my own diet. I try to eliminate oils as much as I can. Um, but occasionally, you know, if, if I want to have a slice of bread with, with what I call glorious butter, I do. Um, and for something like a really, really good marinara, I just find that, you know, a little bit of olive oil really, really helps. Um, but it, I make oil optional on a lot of recipes. Um, so I think I have sausages where the oil is, op- is optional. Um, so I've tried to do that with a lot of the recipes here. So, you know, I, I, I try not to be dogmatic with my recipes. I just want them to, I want them to be a guide. So they're not exact things you have to follow, but they're kind of telling you how it's structured. It's like, this is the structure of a house. Now you can paint it any color you like.
0: Right. So, so, um, let's, let's talk about your cheese company. So you came out with artisanal vegan cheese. Um, you were... I don't, I don't believe you were a—I guess you you, you owned a, a restaurant, but mostly you've been an educator and a writer and a presenter. What happened? Did people say—like, how, how did you end up deciding, I need to create a cheese factory?
1: Well, um, I did have a restaurant, and then after the restaurant, I morphed that into a natural food company. So I did have a a, a natural food company for a number of years, which I sold, and we distributed nationwide. all the Whole Foods and things. So I had that experience behind me. Um, But when I first wrote Artisan Vegan Cheese in 2012, I had no intention of starting any kind of company whatsoever. And people were always saying, oh, are you going to make the cheese? Why don't you just make it and sell it? And I kept saying, no, I just want to show people how to do it. I just want to empower them so they can make their own cheese. And I had no intention of doing it. And over time, though, people just kept asking me. And finally, I just thought, Yeah, why not? Why don't I just do it again? Um, It just took me, you know, it took me about two and a half years or so to get to that point where I thought I wanted to do it again. And um, I have no regrets. (laughs) It's going really fantastically.
0: Mm. So, yeah, so I first tasted your cheese, I think, at a a Vita Vegan Con a couple of years ago. And then I've had it at a couple of summer fests. And it's I'm a little sad that I'm surrounded by vegans when we're tasting it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I would love. Like, oh. <laughs> I remember when I was like 15, they had uh, this big marketing campaign for Pepsi called the Pepsi Challenge. And everywhere you went, there was somebody with little, you know, blind taste tests sharing Coke and Pepsi. I wonder if, if you've done those or, you know, if you've put, um, if, if omnivores have had a chance to taste your cheese and be blindsided by the fact that it doesn't come from, from animals.
1: Well, it's interesting you ask this, Howard, because just yesterday a, a blog post uh, by Robin Aspell came out, where she took our cheeses and she invited a friend of hers who was a certified cheese professional with the uh, the American Cheese Society, and she invited her friend, um, the cheese professional, to taste all the cheeses and um, get her reactions. And she wrote an incredible blog piece about it. Um, and the woman was absolutely um she was really really impressed um and she every single comment she said there was nothing wanting there was nothing lacking you were totally satisfied eating these Mm. so um you know that was i felt very honored by reading that but you know we have had lots of um, omnivores try our cheeses um i one of the reasons i wrote the book was because i had been serving them at omnivore parties for years and a lot of times um, people just didn't even know that they were vegan.
0: Mm. So as you mentioned before we got on the started recording that you just hired a marketing director. Do you have any plans to, to kind of do that sort of like shock marketing? Because it really is shocking, especially, you know, some, some of like the soft cheeses, the ones that have like moldy rinds. You know, it's, it's it, it boggles to think that these were, um, you know, create creations of of plants.
1: Well, um, what do you mean by shock marketing?
0: Well, I don't I guess know, like I'm getting not. people to uh, I mean like like that Pepsi challenge. I remember I once went to a Bose store, that, that make the speakers, and they had this this demo where they had these giant speakers in front of the room and they were playing a video and then they removed the giant speakers and you saw it was just plastic and the speakers were actually the tiny little ones that they were selling for 200 bucks. Like I just I just think that people tasting your cheese would be shocked. Like you you could actually cause conversion experiences. cuz cheese like right cheese as I think you wrote in the artisan vegan cheese is like the, the the final frontier for people who want to give up animal products but they can't give up cheese. There's nothing like cheese. And
1: Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. There is something like cheese yeah. and, and
0: you make it. And so I'm I'm wondering, you know, I I would love to see just, you know, as I said, I love to be around omnivores when they taste this for the first time. And
1: I should do like a little video of that and just put it up. That would be fun. Yeah.
0: So what you said, this will will be available on the East Coast for my. uh,
1: We certainly hope that there are some stores on the East Coast that are already ordering from us directly. Um, so if you go to our website, uh, miyokoskitchen.com, there's a store locator, and there are a handful of stores on the East Coast. In fact, there might be something near you. I'm not sure um, right now. I'd have to – let me let me just go to your – what's your um, zip code? 27312. 27312. Let me tell you where – I guess there isn't anything quite near you right now. But, um, yeah, there are some some places in – Pennsylvania and uh, Maryland that are carrying the product, New York. Um, so we should, you know, we'll, we'll be getting them definitely um, out your way ASAP.
0: Awesome. And, you know, when we talked earlier about, you know, the, the, the cost savings when you make your own. And obviously it would co- cost more to, to buy your cheese. One of the really nice things about making your own stuff is that you get to make that decision consciously, like the
1: like, the like the first yeah. time
0: I ever changed my oil and, and and air filter in the car, I'm like, I can pay someone thirty dollars to do this. <laughs> like, right, so, like right. I stop I stop minding anymore. And you know, so after. Um, after making my own ketchup I'm like I'm never going to buy another bottle of ketchup but after making your cheese I'm like wow that that, like, that took like 5 days and there was a whole bunch of fancy ingredients that I had to I had to order That's online. a little
1: more complicated yeah Like you know Miyoko,
0: yeah. have the money like yeah. you know, send send me the cheese but but at least I'm doing it from a from a place of of informed consent I know what I'm paying for I know that you right, have a factory, right. that you have a family to feed, that you have employees, that you have packaging and marketing and that I'm willing to you know I'm willing to pay for for that as well as obviously supporting you know you're you're about much more you're you're not trying to uh, build an empire you're you're actually doing you know a, a type of ministry and outreach through your cheese.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's absolutely you know, yeah, the cheese is is something that a lot of people just it's much more labor intensive so the whole thing with making your own staples you can pick and choose which ones you're going to make you don't have to make all of them you know like if
0: you go ahead i say like if you if you you had a company selling uh your homemade ketchup it wouldn't make a lot of sense (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would make ketchup. <laughs> that's too easy, you know. But the things that are a little bit more labor-intensive or that, you know, where the ingredients aren't as easy to procure, those are the ones that make sense maybe to produce. But, you know, for the staples in the book are all made from ingredients that are just easy to come by. And that's the idea is I want it to be accessible. I don't want it to be such a labor of love that you never get started.
0: Uh, Now, one one more um, set of recipes that I'd love you to talk about before we um, end the call is your roasted tomatoes, which has Um, your roasted tomatoes and then it has two additional lives.
1: So that is one of the keys to the book is that I don't believe in any kind of waste and you can take anything, any vegetable or whatever, and use every single part of it. So with the roasted tomatoes, that's something that I discovered in Provence years ago, and I fell in love with roasted tomatoes, and I came home, and I found uh, a recipe for how to make them in my oven, um, this is years ago, kind of pre-internet, and um, what they told me to do was to discard the skins and all the juice which runs off when you make the tomatoes. Um, but I, t- I tasted the juice, and I thought, my God, this is so delicious. Why would I want to discard it? So after you roast the tomatoes i have you, you keep the runoff juice that i call that tomato elixir and that's fabulous to add to everything from pasta to risotto to soup it just enhances everything and then the the skins that that get all wrinkly and that you remove from your tomatoes i process those with garlic a little bit of olive oil to make the most unctuous pesto imaginable a tomato pesto that you can you know just stir into whatever you want, pasta, baked potato, vegetables, soup, um, and it just adds so much kick to it. So, I, you know, the, the roasted tomato recipe is based on, roasted tomatoes are just roasted tomatoes, but what I've done that's different from all of the others is turned the skins and the, the juice, the runoff juice, into something else.
0: Right. So, we, you know, as I was reading that, I was sitting at our... Uh... You know, kitchen nook table with about eight pounds of tomatoes that are that are frankly starting to oppress me a little bit. Like, oh. like it's not quite enough to you know to do the full like you know it's not enough to you know can twelve quarts, um, but it's certainly way more than I can slice on toast. And I thought, oh, roasted tomatoes, juice for risotto, and skins for for pesto. Like handled now. Now I can actually have room to put down my plate.
1: Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So.
0: So, um, the book's been out for a little while, right? It's,
1: uh... It's been out for, um, is, is today Tuesday?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's been out for about two weeks now.
0: Oh, wow. So it really is not That's I'm, it.
1: That's very exciting. Yeah, it's brand new. Right mm. off the, yeah, hot off the press. Cool. And it's doing cool. really well.
0: Awesome. So do you have, uh, tours coming up in which you, uh, because I've seen you do your food demonstrations and like nobody sells like you do when you give people your food. Oh, <laughs> like they, thank you. They, I, right. Your your cookbooks are the, your books are always the one that are sold out at these. You know, there's there's like the the big conference and there's a room downstairs with thousands and thousands of books. And yours are the ones that are sold out the first. So do you, do you have uh, shows where you're going to be sharing this where people can come find you?
1: Yeah, well, this month, I'll, um, I'm, well, I just did a book signing this weekend in San Francisco, but um, I will be going on a vegan Italian tour. Um, then I've got um, a vegan Alaskan tour in September. Um, there's several VegFests. I'll be at Toronto VegFest this year, San Francisco VegFest, Sonoma VegFest. Um, this is just for the next few months. Um i'll be down in los angeles later on in september doing some events so there's a whole bunch of stuff coming up and just you can just follow me on social media at miyoko'skitchen.com um, or my facebook page um and uh, you know i'll be definitely announcing all the places i'll be
0: awesome and aside aside from uh, running a, a a growing cheese empire and giving talks, do you have any? Do you have another book in the hopper? Do you have uh, any?
1: Yeah, I'm supposed to be do. I'm supposed to be working on a revised edition of artisan vegan cheese, and I I think I am way behind schedule. We'll put it that way. Okay. So yeah
0: because i remember you did you did um email uh or or i guess one of the Vegfest, you handed out saying here's the recipe for uh, i think buffalo mozzarella in artisan vegan cheese and i've discovered a better one so
1: yes yeah so So that's i'm I'm constantly improving recipes and so there will be another revised edition of artisan vegan cheese coming out in the next year or two and that will have some new recipes better recipes and improved directions
0: awesome so we should we shouldn't buy your greatest hits collection because you're still you're still uh, making records
1: Still, I don't know if there'll ever be greatest hits because they're just gonna you know I'll constantly once I write a book a week later it's like oh shoot I should have written that instead yeah so, that's how it is
0: right. well thank goodness for blogs right yeah Awesome. Well, Miyoko, thank you so much, first of all, for for producing this. Um, I feel I feel like it's a book that should come with a challenge, like how much um, processed stuff can you get out of your pantry and and fridge and how much of this can you get in, you know, in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And so that's that's how I'm I'm seeing this. Um, Well,
1: that's a great idea. I should do a challenge like that on my blog. That sounds great.
0: Well, I'm uh, yeah, I'll be the yeah. first. I'll be the first to sign up because it's it's so inspiring and it you know there's yeah. no downside as you said it's 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 cheaper. It's actually quicker and easier. You talk about like in the, with the glorious butter, it's it's quicker to make the butter at home than to walk from the produce section to the dairy section, yeah, <laughs> of the supermarket.
1: Yes, that's right. It is. So,
0: you know, like like anything, um, you know, in this f- sort of instant gratification world, there's a huge cost. To instant gratification, and there's a huge benefit to taking the time to doing things right and to doing them a little bit more fundamentally than than just uh, being dependent. So I that's correct. I am so pleased that this book is out in the world. I, I urge people to to go get it. Even you know even if you're a, a diehard Esselstyn, T. Colin Campbell, Wellness Forum fan, you will. you know I went through this with that eye because I don't use oil. Um, you know, I don't use uh, processed fats, and I'd say about eighty-five percent of the recipes in here are perfect for me. So there's no, there's no one who can't benefit.
1: Thank you. So, th-
0: yeah, thanks again for for the conversation, and I, c- I can't wait to, uh, to to see the cheeses come out commercially. And I, I wish you happy travels, happy uh, Italian vegan tour, and, uh, and all the best. All right. Thank you so much,
1: Howard. Do well. All right. It was great talking to you. You too. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Miyoko Shinner on homemade liberation in the homemade vegan pantry. If you want some of the recipes before you buy the book, you can go to plantyourself.com and do a search for Pantry and that should be one of the first posts to come up and you can see recipes for her almond feta, for unribs, and for her zippy barbecue sauce. So again, that's at plantyourself.com. You can search for Miyoko or pantry or zippy or any of the keywords that I mentioned and it should come right up. So the garden was interesting this week. I was mowing around the edges and I discovered a yellow jacket nest And as much as I love animals, this was not uh, one of those encounters that I look forward to. I was stung a bunch of times, and I bravely ran away without turning off the mower. And my wife decided to come and rescue me, and so she went there to turn off the mower, and she got stung worse than me. Um, So we're recovering, which is uh, also to say that tonight's uh, class on salads to go has been postponed for a week. So if you're planning on coming to that in the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area, it's not going to be on the 4th of August. It's going to be on the 11th. I've changed the dates in Eventbrite, so you can uh, sign up for that if you weren't able to make this one. Um, Other than that, getting a lot of patty pans. We are living on pesto pasta because the basil is so good. And some of the uh, blackberries are starting to reemerge for I guess the second crop so we're hoping for rain haven't had any in a long time and I hope wherever you are you are getting all the elements in the right proportions and the right amounts and the right times and as always be well my friends